0: Welcome to The Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? You desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC lobshire and this is The Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas, MC lobshire, and welcome to another episode of The Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. In today's show, we're going to look into hard money lending. Some lessons learned, uh, mistakes, how you can get involved with hard money lending on both sides, whether it be uh, as an investor looking for money to fund your deals or whether you wanna be an investor and lend uh, money to folks that are doing projects and deals. Uh, With me in today's episode is Ryan Wright. Ryan is an investor, he's a business owner. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here, MC. Awesome to connect. Um, Ryan, I think a good place to start is why don't you share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I kind of grew up, I didn't, I thought I just kind of grew up in a normal household. But wh- what I didn't realize is the things that my mom and dad were teaching me were not normal. Um, as a matter of fact, I was at a conference um, where there was a bunch of dentists and they were teaching them financial principles. And one of the guys was like, isn't this amazing? and I said to him I learned this when I was 12 years old at the dinner table so I didn't realize how fortunate I was and I'm super grateful for that but my dad was a chiropractor Um, his dad was an HVAC contractor Um, He did, uh, he got into real estate. My grandfather got into real estate before it was popular. You know, he was, they were doing uh, their HVAC work and he'd find a property and, you know, put his crew on it and fix it up and sell it or maybe move into it and sell it a few years later after they fixed it up. Uh, So my dad kind of got a little bit about the real estate bug. He became a chiropractor and started buying duplexes or fourplexes that were run down. Um, So over the summers, I was painting or turning a fourplex into a duplex with my grandfather who had retired um, and my dad was working. And so I kind of saw that. I saw the cash flow. Uh, the other thing, my folks, they were just really open how much rent was, what it cost, how much materials were. So really open about having financial conversations. And so I just realized real estate was the place to be. So I didn't know what to do. So I just became a real estate agent when I was 21 years old. Like, um, before I became a real estate agent though, I bought a duplex. So I just jumped both feet in and said, I'm going to buy a duplex. And so the duplex wasn't a great deal, but that's a whole other story. Uh, from there, I started just being a real estate agent and trying to figure it out. I kept buying some rental properties myself. And then I saw, you know, how to get into flipping properties. So I started flipping properties. And then I saw, how do I get into the money side? So then we started getting into the lending side of that. And so, and then I've gotten into software and and some tools and resources, a few things as things have progressed. But that's, you know, kind of my short story in 20 years or 20
0: years and 20 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. I love the fact that your folks were open uh, to conversations about money too, right? Because- That's one, one thing that in most houses is not, it's non-existent. It's, it's kind of like the taboo thing, right? Almost a four-letter word, money. There's no conversations around money, about the relationship to money and more.
1: Well, and even just last night, I was driving with my son. Um, we were coming back from a little activity and he's like, Dad, how much did you pay for the house? And, and I told him. So, and then he's like, how much is it worth now? And I told him and he's like, oh my goodness. And I, that we have a little deal. He's eight years old. Right. So I love that he's interested in these things. And so, um, and it's because we talk about it a lot. So my little deal with him is like, he knows my net worth. He knows how much cash I have. He knows everything. And the only secret, the only thing we say is don't tell anybody else. We keep that in the family. So, yep. I mean, I don't mind talking about cash flow and those things, but I don't want to, you know, tell everybody my net worth or how much of that type of stuff's coming in, but teaching the principles are great. But with my boys, I'm having the conversation of how much we bought the house for and how much money we put into it. Man, dad, that was a lot of money. Holy cow, it's worth a lot more than you paid for it. Oh my goodness. But he also feels very privileged because he knows like, If he says something, I'm not going to share the details. I'll share the principles, but not the details. And because I'm that open with him, he's figuring it out. Like he's doing the calculations. And man, so dad, do you make more money from your investments or from what you do in your day job? Or do you make more money from Vanguard? Or do you make more money from lending? Or like, where does it come
0: from? So anyway, I just think that's huge. Absolutely. What is, a, is there a philosophical framework for wealth creation? What are some of the principles uh, that you live by in building wealth and some of the stuff that you share with your kids too? So um, we have
1: what we call the right family rules. That's our last name. And so we have family rules that we talk about that go around finances and money and uh, relationships and, you know, forgiveness and different types of things. It's just really big for us. We have it hanging on the wall. Um, but the things for us um, when it comes down to money is cash flow is king, um, cash is queen, and debt's a joker. Um, so that's one of our family rules. Another one of our family rules is we never finance doodads. Um, you know, the old Robert Kiyosaki thinks so we don't finance doodads. So things yeah. like that. We're really into delayed gratification Um, we're really into deciding if that is worth what we're paying. I think a lot of people just get in the mindset of just like, well, I just go to lunch because I've got to eat. So I've got to go pay 12 bucks to go get a burger every single day. It's like, well, but if you didn't get a burger for 12 bucks, it'd be worth four grand a year to you. Is it really worth it? Not, you can't do it. I don't like this. I have an abundance mentality. It's not like you can't, it's, is it worth it? And for me, it's not worth buying the twelve-dollar burger every day. I'd actually rather invest that money and get some cash flow off it most of the time. So those are just decision points. Like, is it worth it to you? Are you just in? Are you just in the mode of just doing robot mode because that's what everybody else does? So being very conscious about where we spend our money and making sure we're getting the uh, the emotional investment back as to what we're putting into that, and recognizing what it takes. You know, if you had to make four thousand dollars more a year, would you rather work a little less or rather invest it, get more cash flow, or would you rather? buy
0: the lunch. I don't know, but make a decision for you, not just what the crowd's doing. The 1% grow their business and investments every year, regardless of the economy and marketplace, and pay very little or no taxes legally. Besides having the right mindset, elite strategies and tactics, and the council of elite wealth advisors coaches and mentors, they have access to opportunities that the rest of the population do not. If you're an accredited investor, we have a network that provides Cashflow Ninja listeners access to exclusive business and investment opportunities. To join our investors network, please apply at CashflowNinjaInvestorsNetwork.com. That's CashflowNinjaInvestorsNetwork.com. I like the fact, too, that the the, the Kiyosaki principle of, of not financing dots, right? Getting cash flow investments that pay for the liabilities, right? So uh, you could gamify that, right? So if you're looking, I mean, there are folks that maybe they're into cars or boats, Right find a way, find, find an investment or an, an asset that produces cash flow that can pay for that. And if you really want to go another level, you know, I, I think it was Kiyosaki shared it about a boat and Cuban shared it about jets where, the, you know, Kiyosaki wanted a boat, but he didn't really want to pay for it. So he figured out a business and started a charter company to take the boat out. And there was cash flow now from the business and the boat was owned by the business. So It was a whole game uh, around that. Cuban did sort of similar things with private jets. There's a lot of ways to get what you want and do it, you know, if more efficiently than just, financing it, as you were saying.
1: Well, yeah. And then he doesn't have to pay taxes on the money that he actually bought the boat with. And, you know, he's got all this stuff. But I think you, you got to take a few steps back and just say, is that what I really want? You know, and if yeah. it is what I really want, what investment of time and resources do I need to put into it? You know, Cuban starting a new business, that takes a lot of work to start a new business, even though he makes yep. it look easy. It takes a lot of work. Do you really want it that bad? Um, and if you do, great, go get it. So it's abundant out there. But it's like you can do, you can do anything you want, but you can't Do everything right, so let's be let's make sure we do what we really want, not just what everybody else tells us we want or looks good on TV.
0: Exactly, living a life by uh with intention and by design. Let's talk about hard money a little bit and jump into this. Um, there's a lot of folks listening to the show that are looking to fund their deals and find extra additional resources for capital. Uh, If you could share a little bit more about hard money lending, what it is, uh, what are some of the mistakes that folks do with it, what some of the do's, what are some of the not to do's, and uh, if you could, yeah, share a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, you bet. There's this whole spectrum when it comes to borrowing money, right? You can mm-hmm. go down to like Wells Fargo and get an FHA loan when you buy your own house, right? That's kind of on this spectrum. And where they're gonna, what they're gonna do is they're gonna look at your credit, your debt to income. They're gonna look at your propensity to repay. They're gonna look at, you know, your history of payment. On this other end, and, and so we, we call that, you know, lending based upon your personal qualifications. On this other end, uh, you have what's called hard money. So, soft money's over here and hard money's over here. And hard money is we don't care if you have a job, we don't care if you have cash flow, we don't care about your debt to income, we don't care about those things. What we care about is how much value there is in the property. So we're basically saying, you know, if you're buying that thing for $50,000 and it's worth $100,000, we're probably in a really good shape. So if you default, we're going to be in good shape. And there's all things, there's things all in between there. There's, you know, maybe softer money and then there's, you know, the government money. So there's all types of varieties in between there. But the principle of hard money isn't that it's hard to get. It's, it's lending based upon the hard asset. So we look at the asset and say, is there value in the asset? It, if we had to take it back, would we be fine? Would we make our money back? The answer is yes, that's a deal that we want to do. Now, there's different hard monies that specialize. You know, we specialize in single family mostly, maybe up to a fourplex, but we kind of specialize in that. We specialize in the, you know, lower price ranges, maybe under $350,000 or um, where there's other ones that are going to specialize in commercial or they're going to specialize in land or they're going to specialize in other things. So, no, it's just like anything else in life. You know, just because you call an attorney doesn't mean the attorney even knows what he's talking about. I've gotten horrible advice that's gotten us in trouble from attorneys because he wasn't specialized. So then it's like, okay, there's all these hard money lenders. Well, what are you trying to accomplish? Let's find the hard money lender that's going to do what you want to do um, so that you can have, have the results that you're looking for. So I think that's kind of the overview of, of hard money in a nutshell.
0: My friend Brian Page has created a cash flow machine generating over $100,000 in six months without owning any real estate. His system consists out of renting properties from property owners and renting them out on Airbnb. His system is so simplistic, it can be managed by virtual assistants and yet so effective and powerful that it predictably generates cash flow every month. Brian and I are hosting a webinar where he shares his system and how it generated over $100,000 in six months for him personally. You can access this life-changing webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash BNB. This is one of the greatest cashflow opportunities I've seen since I've started my podcast. Again, the URL is cashflowninja.com forward slash BNB. And uh, so folks, there's obviously folks looking for money. As an investor, what are some of the ways that investors can get involved in hard money and what are some of the, the pitfalls and what are some of the things that they should do?
1: Yeah, so I think there's really three big mistakes people that are um, we we call them borrowers. You know, your property investors, you know, rehabbers or burr deal guys or well, you know whatever the case is. So I think there's three big fit pitfalls that people fall into every single time. Uh, the first pitfall is finding good deals. You know, it just it doesn't matter until you can find that great deal, and those good deals take hard work. And there's kind of a, an inverse. It's either hard to find deals but really easy to sell them, or it's really easy to find deals and really hard to sell them. So you're going to have one of those sides of the equation. You're always going to be fighting. And so you've got to get used to that. So, you know, I talked to some people like, man, I'm grinding to find a good deal. And it's like, yeah, keep grinding because when you do, it's going to be really easy to sell. If it was really easy to find, you'd have a hard time selling it. You'd be crying about lowering values and lowering your bids and, you know, all this type of stuff. Like, get used to this. Like, there's going to be one side of the equation that's going to take hard work. So, I think finding is number one. Number two, uh, biggest mistake people make is valuing properties. Um, I can't tell you how frequently properties get overvalued. I just looked at a deal the other day. The guy thought the property was worth, this is a customer of ours. He thought the property was worth a half a million dollars once it was fixed up. I got four values on the property. I personally valued it. And I had three other people in the area, agent, appraiser, to go look at the property. And everybody came in around the 300 mark. I was 290. I think my highest was 320. 290 to 320. But this guy really thought the property was worth a half a million dollars. Um, and so you can get deceived if you don't know how to value properties. And you can be easily deceived because the street over just sold for a lot more money. And if you don't know how to understand the neighborhoods, if you don't know how to pull the right parables and those things. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble. And that guy, we saved him from a, a huge mess because if he would have gone forward with that, he would have got his butt handed to him and he would have been crying. And the, the first thing with investing is like, let's make sure we protect the asset. You know, I'd rather not do a deal than do a bad deal um, is the mentality. So that's the second one. And the last one is is rehab bids and project management. Uh, it's just so easy to think that the bid's going to come in for a lot less than it really is. You know, oh, we can do this entire house for 20000 dollars. When you need the contractor to break it out, you got to know who you're working with and there's this whole thing around bids and project management. Um, you you, you, You make your money when you buy the property but you realize it when you get the construction done and either turn it into a burr or a rental or sell it or whatever the case is. So a lot of stuff but I'd say those are the big three.
0: Uh, The markets that you guys operate in, is there specific markets and how do you guys work with investors?
1: Yeah. So we have um, just, I think there's 15 states that we operate in right now. Um, And we're usually in the major metro areas. So if you're out in the sticks or the boonies and that type of stuff. And the reason is it's just hard to sell a house in the boonies. Um, There's just not a lot of buyers. There's not a lot of turnover. Like you got to make sure there's enough commerce to make those things happen. And I'm not saying you can't make money if you're in in the boonies. There's probably money to be made, but there's more risk you need to find somebody more local, you know, that type of stuff. Um, so yeah, we're, we're just in uh, about 15 different markets. We're in the major metros in those areas. And um, th- yeah, so that's, that's the uh, long and short of it.
0: What are some of the things that you're seeing in those markets currently? Because you see a lot of people right now speaking about market cycles, about where the real estate market's at, and every market is different, of course. But what are some of the things that, uh, that you find interesting that you're currently seeing out there?
1: Well, one of the most interesting things for us is because we're in 15 different marketplaces, the the marketplace that's hot is always changing, <laughs> you know? So it used to be like a few years ago, it was like, oh, you know, Texas was just on fire for us. We're doing most of our deals. It was like Chicago was on fire for us and we're doing a bunch of deals there. And then we're like, Georgia was doing a bunch of deals. So it's kind of funny because it's kind of, it kind of moves around a little bit. So yeah. we have, we have a, a certain percentage that's in each one of the markets, but in some markets are more than others. Um, most of the markets that I'm seeing is things are They're really hot steel. I wouldn't say they're on fire. Um, They probably, some of the places have slowed down from being on fire to being hot. You have to realize when I got started in this business 20 years ago, it took 90 days or 120 days to sell a property. That was normal, right? So yeah. when we sell properties in five days, that's not normal. You know, once we hit property times of like 90 days or 120 days to resale or 150 days, that's where we start to get to this normality, this cycle of normal. And I think in most markets, we're starting to get back to a little bit of a normal, Well, we're starting to edge in the direction of normal, but we're not mm-hmm. there yet. I think a lot of newer investors, newer meaning last five years or something like that, are like, oh no, you know. Know, the sky is falling or things are happening. It's like it, it's normalizing, you know, so, so just get ready for that. And I think as being an investor, just realize that the normalcy is coming, which could mean the values may come down a little bit or it could just mean your time on markets are going to come. Uh, but there are markets that are just hot as can be still.
0: MC Love the creator of the Cashflow Ninja and Cashflow Coach at Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate infinite banking with their business and investments. To learn how you can create your own banking system to turbocharge your investments and business in 30 days or less, go to yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Yeah. That's very, very interesting. And, to, you know, if you have, a, if you have solid um, uh, principles in place in how you do business and systems and processes and so forth, you know, we always talk about um, doing well in any economy because markets go up, down, and sideways, right? They only do yep. three things. So you have, there's, the strategy is the same, tactics, there's certain things that you can pivot around and make changes with, but overall, you're trying to do the same thing if you do it properly.
1: Well, that's a great thing about real estate. I think of like getting on an airplane when they're like, hey, locate the nearest exits. There's two in front, two in back, two on the wings. I think the same thing when I'm going into a real estate investment is, what are my exit strategies? What are my two upfront? Okay, well, I'm going to fix it up and sell it. Okay, I'm going to rent it. Okay, I'm going to sell the note. Okay, I'm going to do a, a lease to own deal. Okay. I'm, so I, I figure out my exit strategies, just like when I get on the airplane before I even get started or commit to that investment. So I have multiple exit strategies. And in most cases, even I went through 2008, guys, like I was doing loans in 2008, I was taking properties back, I had to figure out what to do with them. Some properties we lost money on some properties, we said, we're going to sit on it and rent it. And those if we were paid, enough. We ended up making more money than we would have ever made, you know, because you look at prices today, um, if you hang on to that. So, I think the important thing is, yes, markets go up, down, and sideways. But if you look at the trajectory over the last 50 years, it's up, right? Like, it's going to go up. So, the question is, is do you have the staying power if things get bad to hold on um, is a question I'm asking myself frequently.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting because I've heard a gentleman say to one of the most important words in real estate, isn't this, besides cash flow and obviously location, is also when. (laughs) <laughs> right timing timing is yeah. everything <laughs> yeah when you actually uh, purchase the the property and and get into that um what is your process like if folks reach out to you uh and uh, you know they're interested in potentially uh, using you guys as an additional resource for capital? What what's what, what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So we work
1: with members. So we want people that want to be serious and committed to the process. So we help with finding value and getting bids and those types of challenges. So um, we, we have a membership process, we have you join a membership, then we provide the tools, the resources, the software and everything you need to be successful with that as, along with the capital. Um, so if somebody's interested in that, you know, give us a call, we can see if you're a good fit we don't take everybody. We want to take people that are committed and hardworking and want to want to work work with us. Um, because it's real estate investment is not like um, HGTV or any of the TV shows, you know, right. like you find the property in the first 30 seconds. Well, that's probably going to take you, you know, months and months to find that right property. So, um, you know, we've got to make sure we're on the same page.
0: Let's talk about that for a little bit because that's interesting too. The impact that that show and shows <laughs> on there has had on with your business and also just in real estate in general. Maybe if you want to comment on that and then if there's a comment on any technology and sure. how technology is changing, really. Yeah, stuff.
1: yeah. Let's start with a show. Like, let me start with I love those shows, okay? It's playing in our cafe right now, you know, a couple doors down. We, we watch that all day long. So don't get me wrong, we love it. But what I love about it is the transformation, the before, the after, and that type of stuff. Yeah. What I hate about that show is it glorifies um, the process to be super, super um, simple. And it's easy, but it's not simple, right? It takes a lot of work to do that. Within the first 30 seconds, oh, I got a phone call and this property that has $100,000 worth of equity just happened to come to me, you know? (laughs) And so then when somebody's like, I'm gonna get started in real estate because miraculously some genie is gonna call me and the tooth fairy is gonna drop a property right in my lap. That doesn't happen. And that's, I think the first slap in the face that a lot of newer investors or people who wanna get going is like, finding properties takes a lot of work, you know? And then once they do that, then they've spent so much time finding that property that they fall in love with it and then they don't want to look at strategically on values and then they try and push a deal that's not good so that's kind of the next thing to make sure not doing that and then the 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 rehab bids becomes the next thing, which we have project managers that are con- contractors that work with, their con- with our borrower's contractor and make sure the, the bids are in line and what to look out for. We have certain forms we require. We have contracts, all that type of stuff to help people be successful. But when it comes to the, to the HDTV, I love because it's exciting in those things, but I don't like that it gives the impression that it's super easy to do.
0: Yeah. Technology and changing the real estate industry. Um, Oh, man. This is one, I mean, the industry, there's a lot of things happening in there, but it's still ripe for disruption. Some comments on that.
1: Oh, yeah. And we're part of the disruption. I'm really excited to be part of the disruption. I mean, when I started in real estate investing, it was so hard to get data. You know, like if you wanted to get something, you didn't have a great way to do it. You had to go down to the county recorders. You had to go through the little cards to try and figure it out. Now, data is so prevalent. I can tell you who has $100,000 worth of equity. I can tell you who has $100,000 worth of equity and lives outside the state. I can tell you who's going through a bankruptcy and divorce and has equity in a certain zip code. So, this meshing of data. So, we're looking for money and motivation. So, if somebody has motivation and money, why would they have motivation? Well, a zoning violation. Uh, you know, a bankruptcy, a divorce, whatever the case is. So if I look at that, and then I look at equity, and I combine that in areas where I want to be doing business, and I know what's happening in those areas, because I have analytics to help me do that, then I've got like the, the perfect lists that I should be targeting and going after. And then it's just a factor of marketing. So I think the technology is the access of this information. I mean, most people think you've got to be an agent to have access to the MLS. Our members get access to the mls in all 50 states um, without being an agent so that's really easy because those things are becoming so accessible um, that the technology is really disrupting so you've got to get on board with using and utilizing the technology and not be scared of it life settlement
0: investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually but also diversify their capital from any economic Now, one uh, habit I've observed from very wealthy and successful folks, it's they're they're always studying new things and learning. What are you currently studying and learning?
1: So um, I'm reading a book (laughs) that I've read multiple times, but it's kind of like when the student's ready, the teacher appears. It's called the E-Myth Revisited. Um, you know, Michael Gerber, it's a classic, you know, if you're running a, a business, it's definitely one to read. But we're making some changes in the company. So now that I'm reading, I'm like, holy cow, that, this wasn't in here. What? Where, they inserted new pages. What? Uh, <laughs> and I think that's so true. When people say, I read a book, it's like, well, great. Read it again. <laughs>
0: you know? There's right. so much
1: to be had with it. And, and you'll learn new things with new perspectives. So right now, that I would say that's what I'm studying because we're, we're changing things in our company. We're changing things um, the way we deliver stuff to customers. Customers, we're tra- changing the internal trainings we're doing. And that's a big focus of mine. So as I'm reading this, I've got whole new eyes.
0: Yeah. No, that's so true it, it, to what you're saying, because it's the, uh, you know, and Tony Robbins talks about your frame of mind, right? Um, and it's so interesting that when you are focusing on one thing, all of a sudden there's things that appear in books, right? Where yeah. if you would read it in a different state, that state that you're in, uh, it, you know, you might not, might not see it and even find it. Right.
1: It's true. And, and for anybody that's uh, um, religious or those things, the same thing, like reading the Bible, or whatever the case is, it's yep. like the answers come because you're in a different state looking for something else. And it's like, Oh my goodness, I never read that before. So anyway, just two cents on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So, if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be?
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because I don't know where I stand on passing money to my kids. A lot of people are like, I want to make all this money and pass it down on my kids. And if you've ever read like The Millionaire Next Door or any of those things, that may be the worst thing you could do for your kids. So I don't know. My kids are young. I got a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. It's like, I don't know. I, nobody paid for my college and I figured a lot of stuff out. Not saying you should go to college um, or any of that type of stuff. But the struggle is what brings the growth. And I think them understanding the principles are big. So I would say a couple of things. We've talked about a lot of these. But the first one I would say is delayed gratification. Um, we just live in that instantaneous world. I, I call it the throwaway society, you know, where it's just like, I can get it fast and I can throw it away if I don't like it and get a new one. And that happens with marriages, relationships. It happens with, you know, the employees. It happens with, you know, things we buy, you know, you know let's just yep. throw it away and get a new one. So, I think in the idea of not being in the throwaway society, so like make it work or do without type idea, I think mm-hmm. it's really important. What, one of the things that happens is it normalizes. So, like, let's just, say, if I'm used to going out to eat every single day, it normalizes for me. So then when I do go out to eat, it's not a special treat for me because I'm so used to it. If I have somebody comes clean my house every single day, it normalizes and then I don't appreciate when I actually just clean my toilet. I'm just like, that was a pain. Man, I'm glad somebody else does that for me. So you, again, it's back to the, you know, you get, it changes you and then you don't, it, you get to this new idea normal. So I would say the delayed gratification is a huge principle for me. The throwaway society and not being a part of that is a huge principle for me. And then, I mean, it's going to sound cliche, but the cash flow is king. That's yeah. just all there is to it. Like the, I think that wealth is measured in time. Uh, how many days do you have? That's a huge thing for me. The question is how long could you have your standard of living? How many days could you go with your current standard of living? And the longer that is, the better off you are. If you can go a day, okay. If you go three years, amazing. Ten years if you could go 50 years, okay, that that's when you've really arrived. And there's two parts of this. There's the income you're generating and the, what you're spending. And again, it's just, is it worth what you spent to it? If you started looking and say, man, if I really want to buy that new car, I'm going to have to put in several more years, you know, in my active income generation to to get the passive income to then pay for it. You're going to look at things differently. Man, is that really worth it? Maybe it is worth it to you. Uh, it may not be worth it to me. And, and, and we decide, you know, buying ski tickets for my boys, season passes is worth it to me. I'm going to right. do that. We've been up 10 times, nine times this year. I love it. It's worth it. But somebody else, it's not worth it to them. So they don't just get it because somebody else does. So I would say those are the three, the delayed gratification, the throwaway society and cash flow.
0: Yeah, those are great. And um, they are, you know, I love what you say, too, because we talk about a lot how wealth is measured in time. And if you start thinking about it in terms of that, it's going to change the perspective uh, and your worldview completely. Um, So very powerful stuff. Where can folks uh, learn more about you? Where can they follow you? Where can they reach out to you guys and learn more about what you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you can come on over to DoHardMoney.com um, and check us out. You can also check me out at Income Hacker. Um, so, we've got a website. We've got a, a podcast as well, Income Hacker. So, check us out there. Um, yeah. And if we can be a, a benefit, love to, love to help serve.
0: Awesome. Well, this has been a pleasure connecting again, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge and your journey and providing so much value for my listeners.
1: MC, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it.